HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. And welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kara Warren. And on today's show, we have Oliver Ford. He's been working for Beehive Cheese since the creamery opened in 2005. And he's had the unique experience of working nearly every job at the company, starting as a cheesemaker and now serving as a director of sales. His positivity and passion for the family business has been instrumental to the growth of the company over many years. Um, and we also have Britt Welsh, who has been at the creamery for, since he was the age of 14. Britt Welsh began as a cheesemaker, order fulfiller, and a sales associate at the Summer Farmers Markets. After getting his MBA, he moved into his current role as now president. Uh, Britt has been an ACS CCP also since 2015. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Kara. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to have the Beehive team here. Um, you know, you guys are just an incredible force in the cheese business. And uh, I, I'd love to first off congratulate everyone on like 18 years. That's, that's insane. That's a huge accomplishment. Um, and then the, the second thing that I have been learning about putting this episode together is the B Corps certification. That's, that's amazing. A huge congratulations to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think um, the first thing I'd like to start off with, and I think, Britt, you, you might be best suited for this first question, but, um, you know, how does it feel to be B Corps certified? Uh, according to the stats online, I saw there's only like seven dairies out there with the certification. Is it like a lengthy process? Uh, how does that make you feel to have accomplished this? So the certificate, yeah, it's, first of all, it's a big deal. We're very humbled and we've received a lot of positive feedback from our peers and folks in our community. So the short of it is the certification process is like taking a pretty strenuous test. The actual process took us several months to fill out. That being said, what it truly tested was the character of Beehive Cheese. And that has taken us almost two decades to build. So the good news is going into this B Corp process, the idea behind B Corp, the philosophy, their little tagline is using business as a force for good. 
when we started Beehive Cheese. So, so it was Tim, my father, and Pat, Oliver's father, that had the crazy idea of giving up their jobs in software and real estate and starting making artisan cheese. However, when they started making cheese, they were a bit disenchanted with the whole concept of software and it goes big and everybody knows you and you're a million dollar company. And then next thing you know, you kind of crash and bonk and it moves on. So I recall Tim, my dad saying when he started Beehive Cheese is how much he was looking forward to doing something real that we could put our hands on. And part of making cheese and actually getting our hands into the vat and having something that we could go look at in our cheese caves and really appreciate over the dinner table was the concept of building a community around the work that we're doing. And that's something we've seen over the last 18 years. So I've got my brother, both of my brothers have worked at Beehive. Currently, it's two of us still working there in leadership roles. We've got my cousin's family and then a handful of other families. So one thing that we've looked to do very intentionally is lay out a business that would very much be in line with how we would run our family. So the idea is it's about hard work. Um, people earn their keep at Beehive. Ollie will chuckle. I think we hold our family to a very high standard mm-hmm. as far as doing good quality work. But also the second thing is understanding we're members in a community and we need to give back more than we take, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So with those philosophies, B Corp, was a difficult process, but it was something that really aligned with our values of taking care of our people, taking care of our community, and that crazy notion of environmentalism that we should clean up after ourselves. Yeah, it sounds like it's very much very uh, natural to who you guys are. I I love that it was, I, I think for some companies, it could have been like a strenuous process, but for Beehive, it's very much like who you were already. Uh, that makes it like sound actually very cool. And um would you be able to talk about like what are some of the sustainable efforts that you had to do or that you were already doing to achieve the status? Certainly. So looking at it, we're looking at the entire life cycle of the process through which we make cheese, right? So we are getting our milk from a dairy. It's the Wadelands dairy. It's a fourth generation dairy. So part of B Corp is it's all about supporting local sustainable communities. So That part, as far as our sourcing, was fairly easy for us because milk is the biggest component, the biggest input in making cheese. So by having all of our, pretty much our biggest expense coming from a local dairy, that helped us through that process. So again, we were like, okay, we're going to source local. That's Mm -hmm. something that is very much in line with B Corp. Second example would be our whey. So you're making cheese. Cheese is only about 10% yield from the milk you're using. So for every pound of cheese we make, there's about 10 pounds of whey or water that's not going to be used as the final cheese. So we are very conscientious about what we do with that whey. Um, It's used for animal feed. So all of that whey is not just being discarded or like worthlessly thrown away. We're using that for either animal feed or like land application. In the West, we have very alkaline basic soil. So a lot of the time what they'll do is they'll use the sugars and acids in whey in order to help neutralize it and help make the land easier to use, be it, be it farming or development. Oh, that's, that's super interesting because how, like, so how close are you guys to Salt Lake? Like how far is that in, in relationship to you guys? I, I can see the wetlands from my house. So it's oh. really cool. yeah. <laughs> close. It's not that far. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so that's very helpful. Okay, cool. And then, so I'm wondering then on, on a marketing and a sales uh, front, um, I think Oliver, this is more your speed. Um, is the B Corps helping you on that side of things? 
Well, it, I'm I'm hoping it will. Um, right now, it's 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 so fresh that we're still working on making sure that we get it slapped on to our marketing materials and and letting people know. But I I don't see. I mean, with such a small group, and if you look at the companies that have B Corp, um, they're they're nothing to shake a stick at. They're people that have been in this industry and doing good things. So. That of course is a goal: is to get the message out there. Hey, we we find, we achieved this, um, and it lets you know the consumer know uh, what our values are. Which I, me personally, as a consumer, I care about the values of a company very much. Um, so yeah, we, it's it's yet to be determined. Yeah. Okay. I like that because it is, it's true. Sometimes you have to work through the older stock first or the labels without the print yet. Um, so <laughs> I'm glad we're, we're getting, uh, it out here first on cutting the curd. It's like an exclusive almost. If we were throwing out all our p- point of sale and, and throwing all that paper away, uh, that wouldn't be very B Corp of us. Exactly. Right on Oliver. Way to play it. I love that. Um, <laughs> uh, now I'm kind of curious. Um, I don't know if this is a Brit or an Oliver question, but I'm, I'm also, again, I think it's a Brit question. Um, on the front of an employee um, benefit, what are you guys, I know I saw on your website, you guys are adorable. You have a chef four days a week for your employees to have like a home cooked lunch. Um, but what else is going on to make it even more interesting for your employees? So the, the first, so our first core value is authenticity and the whole concept is like, Oh, Hey guys, we're trying to qualify for this certification. We're going to start treating you well. Now that seems very false and kind of against the grain of one, what we should be doing and two, what we actually choose to do. So mm-hmm. I, just the idea of, I mean, we were providing full paid, um, healthcare pre, uh, benefits for all of our employees for, we've been doing that for years. So that was part of that B Corp process and also just treating people well. And I mean, we're a lifestyle company, right? We're not trying to grow a billion percent and then sell for a million dollars. What right. we're doing is really crafting artisan cheese in our hometown in Ogden, Utah. So that's something that everybody that works at Beehive and people that have joy there, it's like, oh yeah, like we're all doing something that we love and it's that this B Corp is just kind of putting some labels on what we've been doing for years. Right. No, I, I love that. And I think it, again, it goes back to your spirit. Um, maybe it's even in the Utah spirit. I, I was hoping you could even uh, elaborate on like some of the, the food culture in Utah and like, how is that related to your company? Like d- does, does the state of Utah play an influence on, on the beehive cheese creamery at all? And I guess I could throw that to Oliver because he seemed to be talking about Oliver's it. Oliver's been in Utah for years. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I also just yeah. wanted to add a, another thing about um, elaborating on treating employees. And it's, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Please. It's, it, it's been a secret. And I don't know, Britt, if your dad's going to shoot me for letting it out of the bag. But <laughs> um, when if we have uh, a surplus in you know profit at the end of the year, uh, Britain's father has been sneaking it into employees' 401ks without telling them. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay, so, that's amazing. I, you know, I just recently found out about it a few years ago, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, they'll just, you know, he'll just quietly slide a good amount of money into someone's 401k and never mention it. Oh, I um, got it. I love that. I mean, do you, so do you ever have a labor shortage? I hope not. 
Uh, we, I mean, we did when everybody did. Um, okay. When, when no one, I mean, we treat people well, but cheese making is really grueling work. It's hard mm-hmm. to, you have to find kind of the gluttons for punishment um, that just love a really, you know, physically intensive job. And we've, we've found a, a really good team of those, those said gluttons, but um, so those to answer why beehive and being a cheesemaker in Utah. Yeah. Uh, yeah exactly. So Utah is the beehive state. Um, I've heard a rumor. You can fact check me on this, but I, I believe it was a nickname um, given to the pioneers from the indigenous population when they showed up and started to build. Uh, they said it's busy like a beehive down there. So it's named kind of after the industrious nature of, you know, the, the early settlers of Utah. Um, oh, okay, cool. I didn't know that. I had not a clue, but I will fact yeah. check. It. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> you can fact check most of the things I say, but yeah, absolutely. I can't be trusted, but what yeah, it's like to be a, a cheesemaker in Utah. Um, the, it, it was really funny. So back Back in the day when Tim and Pat were having their uh, midlife crisis, instead of buying a Corvette, they started a cheese company. Um, <laughs> they they uh, were looking actually at creameries, kind of established creameries in the more uh, typical places where you would expect, uh, you know, an artisan cheesemaker. Um, and they were sitting there having a conversation with uh, our grandma, Ruthie, who was also key in founding of Beehive Cheese, but she listened to him, you know, talk and talk about what they were going to do and be all confused. And she just said, why don't you do it here? And they, the, the thought had not crossed their mind like one time before she mentioned it over the dinner. And it, they started processing that. And it's like, just because there aren't a lot of artisan cheeses here, you know, especially in Utah, but in, you know, the Mountain West, uh, why not? And so they just they just went for it, and it it has become kind of an identity to us. You know, we we're rebellious in where we decide to make cheese, and also in the things we do with our cheese. Yeah, I, I love that sentiment. Um, I think one of the things that I was thinking about um, that I wanted to ask you guys because it is in Utah, and there's not a lot of cheesemakers in Utah, at least that I know right now. Um, so is it the land, like the terroir that's there? How does it work for like cow's milk dairy? Like, is there enough grassland? Or can you describe to the listeners why why it works for Wadeland dairy? Like, I just, I know so little about Utah and I'd love to learn more. Um, a lot of, I'll, I'll take that, Ollie, quickly. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll use the Spark Notes version. As <laughs> as probably picked up, I do rather like to philosophize. But <laughs> um, so one thing that I've heard about, so like tomatoes and jalapenos, if you have them in rougher soil and harsher sun, they develop more flavor. I think a lot of that can be true just kind of anecdotally about agriculture in Utah. So we have a very harsh state, right? It's the second driest state in the country besides Nevada, mm-hmm. but we have very harsh winters, very harsh summers. And I think it develops a uniqueness um, that comes through in our cheese and it just doesn't taste quite the cheddars from Utah don't taste quite like it anywhere else. We were doing, um, Weber state is a local university. They have a 
really avid microbiology program. They took some swabs of our cheese and found some bacteria in our cheese that actually ages, one of the non-starter lactic acid bacteria called Lactobacillus wasachensis. It's a type of strain that's only been found in cheeses that are made in Utah. And it develops some really interesting flavors that are kind of common among Utah cheeses that are very unique in, especially like our beehive cheese, how it develops with our flavors and creates, again, it's not a California cheddar. It's not a Wisconsin cheddar. It's not a Vermont cheddar. It's distinctly Utah. Oh, that's so cool. So you have an indigenous culture. That is that is really cool. I had no idea. That's uh, I love that you guys like have tested and figured that out. Um, that's okay, cool. And so then I would love to follow up on the farm that you work with is a fourth generation farm, Jersey and Holstein Holstein. Um, uh, is that how is that working relationship for you? guys? How many cows is that? Like, how does that work for you guys? Uh, I can answer that one. So the fourth generation, they actually produce, so we don't take all of their milk. Um, so we can, and there'll be some farmstead cheesemakers getting jealous here, but we can increase and decrease our production at different times of the year. Um, and that's that's been, you know, in this area, there's a company called Gosner um, who takes a lot of the milk in the area. So we kind of have a handshake agreement with with Gosner, and they, you know, back in the back in the beginning, they said you're crazy for making you know artisan cheese out here, but here's our list of dairies, pick one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we um, have been, I mean, we buy quite a, quite a lot of milk from Wade's, but we we uh, we probably only take forty percent of what they produce, and it's been invaluable to, for us as a, as a company trying to grow and having, you know, it's a kind of a cyclical business. So we don't need, uh, as much cheese at certain parts of the year as compared to the, you know, the holiday, mm-hmm. uh, holiday rush. So it's, it's been fantastic. We, we visit with them. We can go visit and see their, their animals. And, uh, and a, a key factor is I, they are, so, they are farm certified. It's an acronym. If I were smarter, I would know what the acronym stood for. Um, <laughs> but it, um, it well, essentially is a footnote. <laughs> a footnote. Yep. Uh, but essentially, what it means is uh, that the dairy is up to date on uh, humane practices and the um, the the current best uh, farming and animal husbandry practices. Yep, and, I saw that. I saw that online. Like no hormones, no antibiotics. Like very clean milk. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really good. The clean milk is key. They keep it very clean for us. Yeah, that is, and it's great that it's like one farm. Like you don't have to worry about like multiple groups and like putting the milk together. I think that is um, that's a plus for you guys on the business side. Um, actually, gravitating to another another business question because. Um, I liked this uh, quote I saw on the website. Um, it says uh, that more than 80% of raw goods come from local producers and farms with 60% of expenses spent with local and independent suppliers. That's, that's what you guys are able, you're able to keep it super local. Um, from, a, from a business standpoint, uh, how easy is that to do, uh, how, to keep 80% of raw goods from local producers and like, again, 60% of expenses spent with local independent guys. Um, how are you able to do this? I know sometimes money, money can be tight, but it, it seems like you have a very, um, 
somebody in the group has, I know there's an MBA in there, like I mentioned about before, <laughs> maybe that's helping it, but like, how are you guys able to plan and strategize that? So I'm going to be very honest here. This is like the full transparency. Sure. When I read that, I was terrified. <laughs> so I'm actually, I like, I did the numbers and like actually put together the spreadsheet because again, they're certifying us. We need to substantiate these claims that we're making as, as I think we should. Mm-hmm. So I went in, I'm like, there's, I, I don't know how we're going to do this. Like if we fall short, are we going to have to like call up longtime suppliers and be like, I'm sorry, we can't do business with you anymore because B Corp said we can't. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing, so these certifications are neat, and I think they do drive important management decisions, as they should. However, there was a quote I remember from business school, and this I've taken with me, um, and it's, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So you can plan all you want in the world, and you can make all these wonderful management initiatives and decisions, but at the end of the day, really who you are is those little small decisions that you make every day in your culture. And the surprising thing with that 80% certification, when we were going through and actually crunching the numbers of who we're spending money with, we came in at 85% without having to make any management decisions. Wow. So our relationships over the past 18 years have led to us spending 85% of our money with local people. Like that blew my mind away. Oh my goodness. That is, oh, what a great feeling to know that you're supporting good people. Ugh, I can't, I mean, that's just like the extra metal bonus of so many things in life, I feel like. Um, and you're making great cheese on top of that. So that's all. And I feel like that's just part yeah. of the DNA of American artists and cheesemakers. We're just like, well, that guy's local. Why wouldn't we go with him? Right, right. Totally. No, I love that. Oh my goodness. Okay, cool. I, I want to, okay, so I want to take a quick commercial break uh, from our sponsor. We're on such a high right now, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the flavors of the different cheeses that you guys make at Beehive. So, okay, everyone, you're listening to Cutting the Curd and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Kara Warren. I'm here with the Beehive guys, a.k.a. Britt and Oliver. We're talking all cool things Utah, all cool things flavored cheeses, and I am now really stoked to uh, deep dive into the uh, classic that we call Barely Buzzed, which is a cheddar cheese with coffee grounds rubbed onto the rind. Um, I'm not sure which person should take this question, but I'd love to hear how the concept came about and uh, are you tired of eating Barely Buzzed yet? Do you guys get espresso caffeined out? How do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I will take it. It was actually Britain's uh, father, Tim, that came up with the idea. But uh, I, I won't talk too long, but you got to 
Barely Buzz came about from a combination of things. So you have these two entrepreneurs that don't know anything about cheese making. I think they had eight days of schooling on cheese making in an advanced short course at Utah State. And so they were deciding what, you know, what style of cheese to make. And right around that time, Utah State called. And Utah State is a land-grant university, so their mission is to uh, transfer technology to the private sector. And they said, will you take our recipe to market? And, it, you know, they were elated to have this because they have eight days of experience, and they, uh, Utah State has the people that develop this recipe with some really, really uh, smart dairy scientists. So that was key. So they just got handed a recipe, um, which we've found has changed over the years just through being artisan and not having all the controls. It's it's from the original recipe, we make something that's slightly different now. But so they had this, this, this cheese, this fantastic beginning. Um, but, you know, you, they're entrepreneurs. They want to put their stamp on it. And what I always say is it's really easy to break the rules if you don't know what the rules are. Mm-hmm. So we don't here in in the U.S. We don't have hundreds of years of tradition in cheese. We um, we're kind of just you know cowboys out here. So Tim had um, some coffee that his his brother uh, roasts and some lavender, and so he ground it up, rubbed it on a wheel of cheese because why not? He didn't know what the rules were and. So we had about five pounds of this Barely Buzz. This is probably in 2006. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tasted it and we're like, wow, this is, a, this is really good. This is really <laughs> good. So I think we had, you know, two pounds of it. We took it to the 2006 American Cheese Society and kind of shared it with our peers and got some really good responses. So we went back, made a little bit more. By a little bit, I'm maybe... I don't know, Britain, do you know, was it 50 pounds? Was it 20 pounds? A couple wheels, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I made a couple more wheels and entered it into the 2007 American Cheese Society uh, uh, competition. And it took first place for flavored uh, flavored cheddar. Oh, yeah. So it cool. was, I, I had not heard of anything before it, and I, I still haven't. So it was a brand new idea that came out of, uh, just two inexperienced, enthusiastic entrepreneurs trying to do something different with and put their stamp on um, this beautiful promontory uh, that they were given. Yeah, because promontory is the original recipe. Like I was learning this about as I was doing the research for this, I was I didn't realize that that was the name of the original. And then barely buzz was like the spin on it, which I, I it actually, and I also didn't realize as you were talking about this, there was lavender. Is there still lavender in the barely buzz recipe? I didn't realize that. There is still lavender in the barely buzz recipe. Ah, yeah. cool, 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 cool. I didn't, I hadn't. I always thought it was just coffee. That's okay. That it's, that's it's very, very subtle. Yeah, it's yeah, but too much lavender is a killer for me. I can't do lavender. It, it just it overwhelms me. But but, uh, but with lavender, barely buzzed is very different. Yeah, and I mean, then there you go, and you have the and you have the type. So you're, but you're saying the type of lavender is also a little bit different, or is it? Like, yeah, so, yeah the, the French lavender just by having the lavender in there. So, so Tim, my dad, he's the type of person that they'll go out fishing in like a beautiful little river in the mountains, and that evening they'll cook up the fish and serve it on like a flat stone found on the river. So it's like the idea of just love, right? Like we mm-hmm. love our food and we're crazy about the silly, like 
quirky but special things we do for our food. Same thing. So my uncle, he's no longer with us. Uh, Dan Welsh had a was driving his motor home through Grand Junction, Colorado, and he's like, "Oh, this seems like a good place. I'll, I'll I like it here." So they put up a coffee roasting place there. But just having that coffee and the passion that goes into making those flavors, combined with the pat with our cheese, it just it's cool. The love that comes together to produce these crazy flavors that, like Ollie's saying, it's just a lack of tradition, but just a real connection with the now that creates these wild things. Oh my goodness. So I, this kind of leads into my next question of what was it like for you two to grow up in American artisanal cheese families? This has been your entire life. You've been influenced this, um, like all the time in every aspect of every way of your life. Uh, <laughs> how do you, how do you do? How do you, how does that go? Ollie's unpacking all of this. I need to tell this story that made me laugh. So in, in the day, I mean, there were times that we didn't have very many cheesemakers. Like it was like, okay, we, we just work and there's work to get done. And somebody calls in, it's like, okay, Pat and Ollie, you're going to work a 17 hour shift together. So there's father and son. And by the end of the day, I think they'd finished at like two o'clock in the morning. And like, it was the three of us in there and I'm watching these guys. They're like punch drunk after working and they're just delirious <laughs> running around the make room, filling each other's boots up with water, just laughing. <laughs> just It's family work and just, you get along and you fight and you figure it out. Yeah. No, I think that's perfect. And I think that's how all cheese making should be done if possible. Because it, I think, it's not, isn't it like happy people who make happy cheese or something crazy? I feel like I've heard that from another cheese maker or something like that. I, I think, yeah, I think your attitude does matter in making cheese. And, and part of it, so you were, you were, you were right for like our adult lives, but me personally, I didn't know anything about cheese up until I was, you know, 15, 16. And, you know, the, Pat, my dad, he was in, he, he sold recreational property. And, and so I, I mean, I knew like craft singles and, and those kind of cheeses, but we didn't know anything. It, it's kind of funny. So even Pat, they went to a, a local retailer with uh, some lots of styles of cheese and, he he they were tasting it this is when they were deciding what what they were going to make and he had to write this cheese's name down because it was so good and he didn't want to forget what it was and it was parmigiano reggiano so Aww. that's that's how little <laughs> <laughs> this started with and i wish I, I wish i were more supportive but you know pat would come home and he had his own custom made smoker and he'd I'd say what are you doing and he'd say i'm going to smoke uh, a wheel of cheese and see how it goes and I would just make fun of him because I'd never heard about smoked cheese. I was just like, no, you don't smoke cheese. Come on, get out of here. So <laughs> lots, so it was it was a total, total uh, shift in life, right, you know, right at about that high school age. That's funny. So you were a teenager and he was a pioneer. And look, yep, look at where much. you are now. You're director of sales. Yeah, about that. I mean, it, like Britton said, you just – I, Pat one day just just like Ollie, I don't like managing people. You do it. <laughs> ah, listen, now, now it's really your whole life, and yeah. it's such a cool company. Uh, I mean, hearing you talk about it on this program, I know you do like it. You're just a cool kid about it, which I love too about you. So, props on yeah. that. Um, <laughs> I do want to move on to this next thing, which is um, the is, is it considered a new flavor? It's kind of a few years, but I think I consider it new. Um, first of all, the cool thing, I've just been hearing good, 
like people talking this up around the cheese world. It's the 2021 uh, World Cheese Award-winning Red Butte Hatch Chili Cheese. Um, I'm curious, like, how was that developed? And, like, why do you guys think it's so good? Britton, do you remember the origins of Red Butte? I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, so we had some friends from a local retailer come in. We're just like, you can make any cheese you want. What do you want to make? And they're like, oh my gosh, we've got these really yummy New Mexican chilies. And there was like a person from Hatch. And they're like, they taste different from here than anywhere else. And you have to try it. We're like, okay, cool. So they made it. And we loved it so much. We're like, guys, can we have this cheese? Like, can we have this cheese flavor? So they gave it to us. And it's amazing. Like, it's our second best seller behind Barely Buzzed. So the red butte, I, the reason I think it works so well is it's very balanced. The hatch chilies have a nice sweetness, but also a savoriness with the heat. So it's just, again, like I think flavor is all about that balance. And as you're bringing, introducing all of these flavors into a cheese, it throws off how the cheese ages, right? Like these chilies are naturally they're high in water. They're a vegetable. So if you throw that into the paste of the cheese, the cheese cultures are going to interact with that and it changes how it ages. But the Red Butte, just the creaminess of it and that higher moisture content leads to some really excellently aged cheese. Wow. Okay. So first of all, I have to tell you in my head, I thought these were dried chilies. So the fact that they're fresh is another thing that I did not account for. Um, <laughs> I would not, if you make cheese, I would not recommend putting any sort of plant-based anything inside of cheese that you're planning on aging. It yeah, usually, we're committed at this point, though. Yeah, so. we're committed. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I see what's going on. This was a good idea that got crazier. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I see. Okay. But delicious. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, like, one of the things I'm hoping to do at some point is make, a, like, a nacho cheese with it. I hope that doesn't, like, like make it, like, down downgraded in any way. But I was just, like, thinking about how, like, delicious that would be and it's too short to use bad nacho cheese honestly yeah that's what okay thank you i just i said a nacho deserves an amazing amazing cheese to be with it so i'm i'm excited for this summer to have that opportunity um i'll, I'll give you i'll give you words of warning though it, it, it's a nice mild spice when it's eaten you know at room temperature okay uh, when you melt it down it ups it ups the spice quite a bit oh okay so that is a okay that's an interesting point that i also would not have anticipated Good tip, Ollie. Thank you for that, <laughs> listeners. Eat his advice. Um, and as I, also, I want to put out there, this is like a seasonal thing. Like, are your cheeses, because there are a few flavors now, do you intend, intend for them to be seasonal? Or um, is it just like eat them anytime you want? Um, we're, we're actually working. It's anytime you want. I mean, cheese is, is a great uh, 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 preservative. Um, I mean, that's... True. Uh, one of the main reasons why cheese was uh, so popular. It's just a great, uh, hearty, um, durable, uh, high protein food. So we can, you know, we are, I've had our cheese. Some of it will come of age, you know, is in as little as three months, but then I've had, I think the oldest I've had our cheese is at seven years. Um, and obviously the flavor profile and the texture changes a lot, but, uh, the seven year old cheese, I had was was fantastic. So we can make we can make enough to have it last. Um, as far as seasonal cheeses, mm -hmm. we are working on a few things that we do. I mean, we do um, we for lack of a better word, and I, I think it's kind of funny. We call it repressed cheese. Um, so we'll take a wheel of barely buzzed and we will shred it. 
-hmm. then we will add a Cabernet to the, that shred, and then we will press it back into a wheel and cut it. Uh, we do the same thing with our tea hive. Um, so we shred a wheel of, of the tea, and then we add a dark rum and raisins and press it back in. So that's kind of our holiday time releases. But, you know, it's kind of fun to play with new things and try and, you know, try and break the mold again like we did with Barely Buzzed. So we're, we're working on it. That's Reinventing a- the wheel. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's a very cool idea. Is that something you can see nationally or is it just local to Utah? Uh, you can get it nationally, but it goes through the Beehive Cheese website. <laughs> ah, okay. So that's an order direct. Got it. Yeah, that's okay. an order direct. Yeah, That's cool. I, we just put a plug in for that. I love that. Um, Beehivecheese.com. <laughs> um, no, that's super cool. And I wanted to ask you guys about this. And uh, if you're not in the mood to answer it, just make up something. Um, but like, how is it uh, getting your cheese out of Utah to everywhere else? Because I mean, I'm based on the East Coast, and I see your cheese in a lot of stores. Um, how does that work for you guys with logistics? Uh, honestly, I mean, it, it's expensive, right? And as you know, anybody that's ordering perishable stuff from across the country, there's a cost associated with it. But mm-hmm. for the most part, it's fairly straightforward. Um, you're, we're looking, we ship out lots and lots and lots of packages during the holiday season, and so long as the weather accommodates, we have very high success rates. I mean, our customers are very satisfied and come back year after year. So it, it's difficult, but we're professionals and we've kind of knock on wood figured it out. And, and uh, the, the, the second layer of that question is getting it into the stores that you mentioned. And that's a little more difficult. We, we do have a, a third party warehouse that we ship, you know, whole pallets to so that uh, distribution on the East, you know, not everybody's going to take a whole pallet for mm-hmm. a store and it would be cost prohibitive, but we can uh, split that cost out and have people pick up from a warehouse in New Jersey instead of, you know, Ogden, Utah. Yeah, no, that's that, that, that logistic is a little more difficult, you know, keeping stock and predicting things, but we're, we're, we're going to get there eventually. Well, so, but your shelf life, how long is the shelf life on a wedge that you guys have like a year or is it? It's close. Uh, we, about it starts with about 210 days. That's great. That's that's mm-hmm. amazing though. Like I mean, and it's good cheddar, so it'll just sell itself once it gets there. The um, problem, the, the struggle we have, it could be more honestly, but that wonderful Lactobacillus wasanchensis that gives us a nice unique flavor, mm-hmm. um, or contributes to it. Uh, it also likes to produce carbon dioxide. So on one hand, it's wonderful, and on the other other hand, it's the bane of my existence. Um, (laughs) so so, you know if the the bags start to loosen because it's releasing carbon dioxide it's not appealing to a customer so the cheese is is going to be fine um but the appearance like you if you there's a balloon with a cheese wedge inside of it on the shelf you're not going to pick it up yeah no 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 i'll look out for that when i'm in the east coast i'll be like hey i found this one guys probably the Um, best cheese though it's the oldest (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, okay. I just have like a few more questions left. And um, it's basically like, what is the future of Beehive as a company? Or do you have any other flavor collabs coming out uh, that's going to be seen nationally that we should know about here on the program? I I think we've got some stuff in the works, but it's top secret right now. (laughs) Sorry, we're not going to roll it out quite yet. We'll have to, we'll have to do another podcast soon. Oh, okay. I love that. But will it be at Fancy Food Show coming up in June? 
That's a good question. Um, so the reason why it's top secret is uh, we don't know if it's good yet. <laughs> oh, you can say it like that. Oh my God, who are you? <laughs> no, it has to be. It has to be fantastic. Why we we can't we can't get everybody excited and then you know yeah roll that's out fair. this subpar <laughs> subpar cheese. No, that's fair. That's fair. That means like if it does make it to the shelf, it was really tested out. So it's yes. like the gourmet. You you you've checked it. You know it's good enough. You know. The, the short answer is we're always working on new things. So whether not all of them are great, a lot mm-hmm. of them are fun, but it's only the ones that are brilliant that we'll be seeing out in the bigger world. It's Fair usually enough. about 30, 30 to one, 30 experiments and one makes it. That's a lot. That's a lot of testing. I, I appreciate your uh, candor on this. That is wow. Okay. Well then I'm really looking forward to it. See the teas did work. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wanted to thank you both for coming on the program today. This was awesome to have you guys. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Cara. This was a treat. Yeah, you guys are, um, you're welcome back here anytime. Uh, I really like the, uh, the combo of your wisdom, the laid back, uh, Oliver and the really, (laughs) you know, you know, Brit, you know, your stuff. So uh, thank you both again. This is, this was great. Um, Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I just want to put it out to the listeners. Hey guys, please follow them on Instagram at beehive cheese or go to their website and you can buy their cheeses, which are delicious at beehivecheese.com. Plus you can follow us at cutting the curd and myself at Kara Warren. And please listen, subscribe to cutting the curd, wherever you listen to your podcast. Also don't forget to give us a five-star review on wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks. And eat more cheese. Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.